You're listening to Wise Women Speak with Linda Pritcher and Lana Bastianucci, where we give voice to the wisdom in women. If you'd like to reach us with your thoughts about the podcast or you're interested in coaching, please contact us at hello at wisewomenspeakpodcast.com. Hi, Linda. Hi, Lana. Lana and I have in the studio today Katie McDonald, who's founder and CEO of Be Nourished. Katie transformed her life from depleted and sick from overwork and the disease of busyness into one of health, wellness, and thriving. Today, she has a successful concierge coaching practice that's devoted to wellness practices, as well as countless speaking engagements for organizations around the U.S. As a self-care strategist, Katie now devotes herself to coaching others to make thoughtful, deliberate choices that empower them to become the people they want and deserve to be. So welcome, Katie. We're delighted to have you this morning. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So one of the things that I read um, that you had written was that you had to learn the hard way. So I'm interested in finding out about that hard way. What happened during that time that has eventually led you to what you do today? Yeah, so pressure makes diamonds, right? (laughs) And there was a lot of pressure in my life, self-imposed mostly. I constantly held myself to a standard that was not humane, human, or sustainable in any way. And that drive for perfectionism really got me sick. And um, I would say it started with this clarity that I wasn't going to be the smartest or the thinnest or the prettiest or the richest, but I could outwork anybody. And that became my moniker. That's how I was decided to distinguish myself. And I knew that I could control that. And I couldn't control the other aspects. But it started to control me. When that is your standard, um, it is, you know, you're never done. You never cross a finish line in any way. And internally, I didn't have the, the internal capacity to, to slow down, to stop. I constantly was striving, surviving. And, and then had to transform to the point of, of thriving, right? Which was a foreign concept for someone like me who, who mastered the human doing part, but the human being was far more elusive. Did this start at an early age, like teen years? Oh, earlier. Earlier. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, absolutely. I really just, I was a baby of four kids. So you have to make yourself known. You have to um, find your way. And I think that was part of it. But I also believe that I love, I loved productivity. I loved accomplishing things. I loved life and still do. Um, But I didn't know how to put boundaries around enoughness, right? It was too muchness was, was the way that I operated. And to embrace this concept of enoughness felt like I was settling, like I was accepting mediocrity instead of exceptional. And really enoughness is the goal, the gold and the goal. I love when you express yourself as realizing when you've done enough, there seems to be a parallel between doing enough and also being enough. And so it was this double recognition for you, it seems like, that that you can do enough, but you also have to recognize you're already enough as it is. 
Right. I felt like I needed to earn it all the time. Mm -hmm. Every day, every choice I had to outwork in order to earn the birthright that we all have to simply be. You can totally see how as that child you'd say, okay, how can I distinguish myself? It made sense to you as a child. Well, this is how I can do it. And it's amazing how then that decision in that moment can lay out a lifetime of it. Exactly. And to be able to see the patterns and whether they're working for you, right? Looking at our habits and saying, does this still serve me? And that that's the foundation of my work. So was there a moment when you finally had that, I can't do this, I can't keep this up? What was that moment? Oh, I had a lot of them. Mostly I had signs from my physical body saying, you can't keep doing this. I was constantly sick. But, um, and all my physical demands felt like gnats that were just circling me in my way from what was otherwise a highly productive day. So even just drinking water felt like um, an insult to productivity um, and really not making the connection that if I take care of myself, I can actually produce more. It was, um, I don't have time for that. So many people are in that space where I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. It's the self-care aspect that they leave by the wayside. Oh, it's the first thing we let go, yeah. right? We will we will constantly prioritize caring for other people, caring for other things. And yet we realize, um, I had to realize, I, I, I should back up and say, I wish I could say that I just reached some moment of enlightenment. But instead, I had to get sick and had to have multiple uh, signs. Physically, I had ulcerative colitis, pneumonia, shingles, asthma, allergy, depression, anxiety. I mean, there were signs, all these little little hints that just got louder and, and whispers that became screams until I was forced. I had to look at it. I had to change my life um, because I wanted I, I wanted a life. And, and increasingly, I was forced into making pretty dramatic changes. It's amazing how it comes as a whisper at first, and then it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger until it hopefully wakes you up. When you don't listen to the voice inside, it gets louder and louder until, you know, kaboom, something has to give. Well, it became a roar for me, and the symptoms became the whisper to the roar, and, and I was forced to listen, but more importantly, I had all this information. I have studied holistic health and well-being for decades, and yet the real issue is, are you implementing it? And so I could have the intellectual knowledge. I was fascinated by the topic, but it was, it was a hobby. It was peripheral. I wasn't integrating it into my life. And so that's where the self-care strategy bit of my, of my career is and of my work is like, look, we could talk all day. We all know what to do. We're not doing it. So there are obstacles in our way. Sometimes it's our thoughts. Um, sometimes there are tangible obstacles or expectations, all these other things. But the bottom line is we know what to do. And unless we fully commit that our well-being matters, that it needs to be at the top of the to-do list and not what's constantly cut off the to-do list, um, that's the only way that we can really change. What were you doing at the time when all of this was going on? What kind of job did you have? So I worked for Time Magazine, and I was a senior account executive and sold advertising in 40 national publications. And in sales, which was perfect for my, um, my personality, is, you know, anytime you made a sale, you were on to the next one. And I loved what I did. I loved magazines, um, still do. And, and I loved the flexibility and the creativity and, and serving my clients. But it wasn't serving me. I didn't know. I didn't have the off button. So anytime I made a sale, it was on to the next one and the next challenge. And um, and increasingly, again, I just 
what, what really woke me up was, wow, I'm not as efficient as I used to be. Wow, I'm kind of like fuzzy headed. Um, and those were the things that when it was a direct impact on my ability to produce, that's when that's when I started to pay attention. What do you think it is for people who do know these things? I mean, we all know these things intellectually. So there's a distinction between intellectually knowing, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's good for me, but then implementing it in your own life. What makes the difference? Well, the difference is a decision. There is a massive gulf between who we want to be and how we're acting, right? Are we acting in alignment with the version of ourselves we want to be? And, and more times than not, we're not. And so it's a matter of on making a decision um, and then having a plan that actually makes it come to life. So we make contracts in our business and our personal lives. We make agreements and promises to everyone else, and we make them frequently to ourselves. And yet we're the ones that we're willing to disappoint, to disregard, to break that trust. And self-care is about repairing that trust we have with ourselves, that understanding that's a relationship that requires vigilance and, and monitoring and, and compassion and attention. It seems to me that the decision, while it may seem intellectual, it seems like it, it comes from a deeper place and then you engage the intellect to then look at the strategies and what do I need to put in place. Does, does that seem accurate to you? It does. I think, you know, a lot of times we look for an external answer. We'll say, I'm going to do this diet. I'm going to do this program. I'm going to follow this guru, right? These are external solutions to what really is an internal issue. So what we need to do is understand and claim, we have reclaim maybe in some cases, we have a birthright and a responsibility to be the highest version of ourselves. And in order to do that, and as only we can, right? And in order to do that, we have to make our self-care the priority. There is no way we can be that more evolved version of ourselves through self-neglect. So we have to dismantle these beliefs that, oh, I'll wait till I feel like it honey, that's not going to happen, right? That is not going to happen. Or, you know, I'll wait till that Monday or, you know, we postpone it, right? All the while just eroding our faith in ourselves mm -hmm. um, and bring it, if we could just take a small percentage of the amount of intention and commitment that we give to other people and, and share it with ourselves, that's when we can really transform in a meaningful way. So yes, it is a decision to say, I'm tired of, not of being last in my own life, right? So I'm going to craft a life that is deliberate and deliberate has in its in its core word liberate. We are liberated from structure. We are we are liberated in when we have the scaffolding of our lives through habits. That's really who we are. We are what we do repeatedly. So we need to start with making a decision. My life isn't working right now. There are aspects of my life that are not enabling me to be the most evolved, highest version of myself, and I know what to do, and I'm going, I'm going to do it, and it is going to be first and foremost on my list of things to do and to be. For women particularly, there's this feeling of selfishness or guilt if we put ourselves at the top of that list. How do you address that with women? What I say is martyrdom is so last century. <laughs> I mean, has that ever worked? When I got sick, I was very selfish. I was very high maintenance because I was sick. So we tell ourselves these stories and that they're stories that are quite harmful and destructive. We tell ourselves that, that if I take care of myself, I'm being selfish. And I say, let's turn it on its head. It's selfish to self-neglect. 
We also, as women in particular, have a unique responsibility to role model to this next generation, be that our children or just the younger generation with whom we interact, to say, this is what it means to be a woman. A woman is a proactive advocate for her own well-being. When we take the responsibility and privilege of self-care seriously, we're giving everybody else permission, right? It's the, it's the fairy godmother of poof, you have permission, which by the way, you've had your whole life, right? But somehow we need to hear this. We need to hear that it is not only okay, it is urgent and our, our responsibility to tend to ourselves. And, not, and I'm not talking about pampering, right? I love a good manicure. I love right. a good spa. This isn't what we're talking about. In some cases, it's as basic as the fundamental needs of drinking water, of preparing food. We're so outraged when we have to prepare a meal about how much time it takes. Really, when we measure it in relation to the impact that it has on our relationships, on our health, on our ability to create abundance, on our creativity and mental clarity. It's like, it's a fraction of the return of investment that we get. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to make, that the investment that you're making and really taking a look at how you're using your time, it really isn't that complicated to make a healthy meal, is it? It doesn't have to be, it's easier Except now. Except for thinking that it is. Right. The thoughts that we have about it. Yeah. I, I had one client that felt that dinner was a six course meal. She really defined it in a way um, that said, this is this is what dinner is. I can't do it. Therefore, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. I mean, this is what I see over and over again. So the three areas that I impact in the work that I do primarily are food, thought and time. We know what to eat or not eating it. <laughs> right. So we ask ourselves, is the food I'm serving serving me? The next one is the thought, are the thoughts I'm having, right? We have 70,000 thoughts in a given day, 90% are repetitive. And I would say even more are negative <laughs> and, and demeaning, the bullying, uh, the bullying within us. Yeah, is part of the really, story. Yeah, that is, the, that is the biggest terrorist with whom we're dealing with. And then the other part is time, right? We know what to do, we're not doing it. It becomes a function of time management, energy management, focus management. When you have those three legs of a stool, you have stability in a way that you haven't. You feel grounded and rooted in habits that help you soar. Where do you get the most resistance when you talk about food, thought, and time? Is there resistance in one of those areas that you find the most prevalent? Well, it's funny. A lot of times people are really gung-ho on the food front. Like, yeah, they get it. They've done diets. They do all of that. But what they don't understand is that, that those other aspects need to be explored too. So... I get resistance in each of those areas um, because if I don't, I'm going to I'm going to poke until I find it. <laughs> right. I want to reveal the resistance. Right. Resistance is an indication that you are on to something. So the greatest resistance is what we really need to lean into the most. It's the power of thought is kind of powering those other areas as well. If you don't deal with that, you know, how people are experiencing their lives, how they're creating the reality that they are experiencing, then it, I would think it would get harder to deal with the other issues of time and food. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's funny, though, because I start with food, because if we're in a food fog, if we're in a sugar coma, we can't address those other areas. <laughs> so we really start with what is it? And it's not a diet. It's not following a formula. It's becoming quiet and self-reflective over the six-month program that I offer my clients because I'm not pussyfooting around. If you've come to me and said, I want to change my life and I don't know the how, but I know the what. 
People can always answer what they want, but they don't know the how. The most capable people don't have the how. We need to be held accountable for something um, and get unstuck in ways we've been stuck. So, so yeah, it's it's really addressing. There are other there are aspects where where thought is the biggest obstacle, and so obviously we're going to hang out there the most. It's really meeting people where they are. But what I've discovered over and over again is the biggest threat to our progress is the way that we see ourselves, is the way that we deem ourselves worthy of care. We wait until we think we deserve exceptional self-care, and then we wonder why we never get there. It's like we can't wait till we do it. We change our lives when moment by moment, choice by choice, we accept the invitation to reinvent ourselves. It's not too late, no matter how old you are, no matter where you are in your life, no matter how many times you've failed, doing air quotes here, it failed. It's like we get a chance in this next moment, this next breath to decide what version of me do I want to be? What, what am, how am I going to show up for myself in ways that I've shown up for everybody else? And that's all we ever have is the present moment. I mean, people are spending time in the future and they're spending time in the past. That's a lot of that 90% that you were talking about. Repetitive ideas about themselves and not realizing that all we have is the present moment. So that's the possibility, as you were saying, of reinvention. You have every moment is fresh for you to make a choice. I have a long time meditation practice now, but my biggest fear, one of the reasons that I was constantly chronically busy and addicted to busyness was because I was terrified of the quiet. I thought if I got quiet, I would see reflected back to me the monster I thought that was in me. And then I was trying to outrun through busyness, through productivity, through professional accolades. And so to really take a moment and say, you know what, I'm willing to see whatever's there and I'm going to bring compassion to it to cultivate the practice of quiet. You don't have to be in some weird pose or on top of a mountain or in a robe or anything. It's simply hearing your breath. Um, Pink, you know, the singer, (laughs) the the quiet scares me because it screams the truth. Mm. Right. Oh, my God. That's it. That's it. And the thing is, we can't outrun ourselves. Our body will give us symptoms. Our mind will create scenarios that force us to slow down and to own this moment. You know what I love about that, uh, how your body gives you signals? That's wisdom also speaking to you, saying, hey, wake up. And to your point about being alone with your thoughts, there's programs where they have you go out in the wilderness without any phone or electronic things and the scariest thing about that is suddenly you're alone with your thoughts and that's frightening to so many people until of course you realize what thought is when we consider the past we use that as ammunition against ourselves and you talked about obstacles and resistance and and one of the biggest challenges is when we decide to make a change we have to forgive ourselves for the choices we made. We can't change unless we observe what we've done in the past. And that's time. That's often where s- people get stuck. They can't bear to see where they might have been less than in some way. And what we need to do with compassion is say, okay, I did what I did up to this point, and now I choose again. And now I choose differently. And to, to quiet that bullying voice that tells us we're not enough or we're too much. And to recognize that we simply are and that we are good enough, allowing yourself compassion where there used to be shame, because shame is not an effective catalyst for transformation. It's actually proven as such an ineffective tool for change. And yet that was how I 
created any change. There was superficial change and it was punishing change, but it was through beating myself up. Yeah. And powering your way through life. Right. Yes. Yeah. Sweating your leg. And I could just roll up a sleeve and, and bust through anything um, except the conundrum of my own care. When you came to this realization, when you had all of these illnesses and you finally realized I need to do something, mm-hmm. what was the first thing you did? I started juicing, actually. I knew, like I'd said, I'd studied nutrition. I had um, been eating plant-based foods exclusively for over 30 years. So it was a clear um, path in that. I knew, go to the food, just like I do with my clients. Start with the food. Get back to the food. Get back to Mother Nature. She knows what to do. Get out of the way. Keep it as simple and as pure as possible. So I started doing green juicing. And, um, and then eating, you know, cleaner and cleaner, you know, plant-based foods, absence of animal products does not mean the presence of health. So if I was going to raise the standards in my life, in my sense of well-being, then I had to raise the standards in, in everything that I ate, thought, and did. And so the next thing you did after the juicing? I said no to everything and everyone except my son um, and my husband. I, I really said yes to myself. Every, every yes is a no, and the no was always reserved for me. So this time I said, you know what? Beyond those basic care of the people for whom I'm responsible, I'm next. And I'm going to make sure that I don't ever say yes to any ego-driven <laughs> commitment because I have to be well. I have I have to be well that this the 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 myth that self-care was selfish was eroding right before me it was clearly not true because I was never more needy never more high maintenance than I had been when I was trying to recover from the consequences of all my choices I think that's really remarkable that you saw something you you had that well you had a, a very big need which was your ill health and then you just took the steps and then one thing led to another and then another and more realization. How long did the whole process take Where, until you felt really in balance? Six months. And, and I cured myself of all those conditions. So the really? asthma, the al- gone. Uh, yeah. Actually, I should say the asthma has resurfaced at times, um, given allergy um, stuff. But for the most part, it is not part of my life anymore. In fact, I'm outraged when, I, when I'm sick because I do what I need to do. And I do it with respect and I do it with gratitude. And I remember I'm deeply connected with how I like to feel. It's not about deprivation. And, and if somebody tries to take something away from me, I'm just going to grab on tighter. And I see that with my clients. I'm not interested in taking things away. I'm interested in saying, let's explore. Let's experiment. Let's, for the next two weeks, try this. How do you feel? You're the expert on you. And that's what we forfeited this in, the, in this victim state, in this powerless state that we tend to, uh, in this unconscious state that we tend to navigate the world. It's like, wait a minute. I've got to wake up to the responsibility here. It is my job to like me. It is my job to take care of me and to parent myself. And with you didn't get it what you needed in the earlier years, you've got to face that. Grieve, cry, do whatever you want, then step up. Step up. Yeah, be an owner and not a victim. So you went from sales with Time Magazine to creating this company, Be Nourished. How did that evolve? Was it just this idea that you just went, this is what I need to do. Well, I had I made a bargain with myself. If I can come out the other end of this, then I'm going to get to my tribe. I am going to get to the women who are busting their humps, doing everything for everybody else, 
um, taking care of business at the expense of taking care of themselves, which was really um, described me to the T. I am my first client mm -hmm. and, and continue to be on the, um, on the client roster, so to speak. And so that was it. I was like, I have a debt to pay. I'm going to figure this out because I'm capable. I'm smart. I have people that are supporting me. And yet I couldn't figure this out. So there's got to be other people out there that are struggling in the same way. And if I can get to them, then I can change the world. I can have the kind of impact that I want. These highly capable um, achievers and help them learn how to take those skills that make them so successful outside of their personal lives and bring it to their personal lives then they're going to be unstoppable. So if they're well, if they're nurtured, if they're able to accomplish everything that they have on the back of self-neglect, imagine what they can do when they are well, when they're rooted, when they're grounded, when they're clear-headed. Like, unbelievable. And I have the privilege of watching that every time. Highly capable people that all of a sudden it dawns on them, wait, these skills apply to my personal well-being too. And I see the direct impact in my business, in my family, in my community. It's a beautiful thing. That's very, very powerful. Yeah, a ripple effect, mm -hmm. clearly. Yes. yes, when you're healthy, then that's what you're spreading around in the world. It's like people who have presence, who are grounded. They make a difference in the space that they occupy wherever they go. So a typical client for you would be? Often it's, uh, it can be male or female, but it is primarily women that are uh, looking for solutions and they in turn go back to their families and change it all, right? Um, but it's typically a woman that has hit 40 and she realized she can't do it anymore. That all the, oh, I'll get to it later, all the postponements, all the unmet promises to themselves um, come knocking <laughs> and say, okay, here I am. And it comes in the form of a symptom or just a, I'm not as good as I could feel or I'm feeling a little old or poochy or something. You know, something feels a little off. Um, and it's varying degrees, but usually it's this intuition like, wow, I can't keep doing, this isn't sustainable. That my practices, the habits that I've had since sometimes in high school, right? I mean, how often do we dust these things off? We don't unless we're forced to. So they're looking at some, some catalyst that says, gee, you know what? I'm just not able to keep doing this. And I need a change and I don't know how. And you are the how. Or you open up the how. Yeah. Right. I'm the conduit for, yeah. for the how. Right. I mean, I'm not... I'm not giving them a, you know, this is what you do, go do it. It's your job in the next six months is to learn about yourself. It's to go to you university, to study yourself with compassion and curiosity and to really uncover like how much sleep do I need in order for me to be at my best? What kind of foods make me hum? Look at all these aspects, um, the food thought time. And then of course, all the other areas about it. Does my home support me? really challenging all these things and most importantly what what happens is the boundary stuff we don't have boundaries in place and that's where we're suffering and i underestimated how important the role of boundaries would be that where do i end and you start and we as women it's very blurry and it's a, it's a faint pencil line at best and we need a little more of a sharpie around the edges so katie knowing what you know now the journey you've been on what you've realized for yourself and how you've changed, what would you say to child Katie? I would say you are enough. You are enough. You're good enough. You're enough. And I would say be kind. Be your best advocate. Because if not you, who? Who else is going to have your back if you can't have it? And that 
when you befriend yourself, when you parent yourself, when you care for yourself, you are better able to serve and to give. And that would help make that connection because I always wanted to make a difference, but it had to start with me. And I didn't understand that. I kept telling myself, I'll eventually get there. So I, I would turn that on its head and say, start here, know yourself, lean into yourself, be curious about yourself, understand what it takes for you to be uniquely you. No longer apologize for that, for your quirkiness, for your, for anything that makes you who you are, own it, embrace it, be unapologetic about it and role model that for everyone you encounter. And in doing so, we set everyone free. That's perfect. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. And if people would like to be in touch with you, how would they do that? I offer a complimentary 30-minute session for anybody who goes on the website and signs up for that. And that's an opportunity for them to address any of the issues that they have now and also to learn in greater detail about how I work. Um, and it's simply by going to the website, um, benourished.com, B-N-O-U-R-I-S-H-E-D.com. Thank you. Thank this you. has been delightful. My pleasure. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Linda. Thanks, Lana. Bye. You've been listening to Wise Women Speak. If you'd like to hear more, please visit us at wisewomenspeakpodcast.com. Find us on iTunes or anywhere you listen. 